Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome back and happy Thanksgiving week. Welcome back to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community, this time special guest, Mason Douglas. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. While you're there, please subscribe. It's totally free to you. Welcome to our People in the News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with Mason Douglas. Chart-topping singer-songwriter Mason Douglas grew up with the traditional American ideals and values that stand out in his hit songs. An Air Force brat, his father flew F-4 missions in Vietnam, taught the next generation of pilots how to pilot the classic A-10 Warthog, my brother-in-law flew those, and surrounded his family and friends with the no-nonsense, common-sense, proud-to-be-an-American fighter-pilot mentality. That mentality found its way into the songs that have brought Mason success in today's music industry, the appropriately titled American Beauty, and uh, by uh, no, by the lost trailers hit the top forty country charts and was featured on the Olympics as a tribute to Gabby Douglas. Mason's solo penned "Home Free" inspired an unprovoked standing ovation at the world famous Bluebird Cafe, a moment that still stands in Mason's top five all time moments. His military tribute "Can I Buy You a Beer" was recorded and released by his childhood hero John Schneider, who was just on the show for Halloween. And the protest song, We the People, co-written with Kid Rock, released by Kid Rock, reached number one on multiple Billboard and iTunes charts. His additional co-writing credits include Hardy, Old Dominion, Sam Hunt, and more. Now he hopes his pro-America, pro-tolerance, pro-unity, anti-ignorance, and anti-hypocrisy anthem, I Miss America, co-written with Clarence J, will chase the same heights and help all Americans, regardless of political ideology, rediscover those ideals, tolerance, and unity with America first. Mason is also an author of two Nashville pop culture books, Now You Know Nashville and Secret Nashville. He is an active actor appearing in national commercials and maybe most notably as the Beverly Sound Guy in multiple episodes of the hit series Nashville opposite Charles Easton, I think is how it's pronounced it. Roots for the Arizona Wildcats. Sorry about that. Two stop breaking his heart. Yes, I get that. And enjoys spending his spare time with family and two greyhounds. So two greyhounds. One of his top all five top all time moments was the bluebird. That's three. <laughs> Hello, Mason. How are you today, sir? Oh, I am doing good, Steve. Thank you so much for having me here. And yeah, that was quite the intro there. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, you got a long record there. I hope I did you proud. Um, and thanks for joining us to talk about uh, your books and music. But first, when Nashville was here and being filmed, uh, the place has, must have been a zoo. 80,000 people moved to Tennessee last year. And I think uh, many like me saw Nashville for the first time on that show. What was your experience like being a part of that phenomenon? Oh, it was so cool because Hollywood came to came to town. All of a sudden, uh, we we've been waiting for a filming uh, filming vibe here and uh, opportunity, but it never really came. N Nicole Kidman brought a few things into town, but for the most part, our tax system wouldn't w w just wasn't uh, 
wasn't good for for the for Hollywood coming in. So they'd go down to Georgia or up to Wilmington, and Nashville never got the never got the goods on on the uh, on the locations until the show. So all of a sudden, you're in here, and there's production everywhere. Those little yellow signs with the arrows saying, "Hey, you know, uh, sets this way." All of a sudden, I'm in a room just hanging out and and working with uh, uh, with Hayden Penetere with. Um, um, Oh, the redhead lady that we all know, and I can draw a blank on her name with with uh, Chip Eston there. I, the one from South, Friday Night Lights, him, yeah, pretty cool. So just um, and then the cool part, the absolutely phenomenal part was where they built on the soundstage the exact replica of the Bluebird. So it was episode one, they had the actual Bluebird and they filmed in there, but then they went up to uh, near Trinity Lane and they built an entire soundstage with the entire house, the interior of the house, right next door, you'd turn around, you'd turn a wall, and there was the Bluebird sitting there. You'd walk outside the Bluebird, there's the asphalt, and there's the rail right there. There's the um, the barbershop where I used to go when I had hair, the uh, the old uh, <laughs> peppermint swirl. Up. So they just did everything to a T, and it was so dang cool. Um, so every time I got the call to uh, to do a new episode, it was just, I, I, I loved it so much. Being on set, being uh, being part of it. Uh, the, the only funny thing was that the Nashville that you see on TV just never was quite the, the the real Nashville. First of all, the music was always so like super emo and alternative that was on the show. Yeah. We're like, it's not quite what we're writing. You know, we'll, we'll hear that on certain stations, but it wasn't really what Nashville was about. And then the hilariously, the, the old Hollywood trick where they'd say, let's go take a walk, grab a cup of coffee. And then they're 10 miles away on a certain bridge that you're like, that would, you would never go there 10 miles away to get a cup of coffee and take a walk. You just go around the corner. So yeah, all those yeah. little funny tricks were just um, hilarious. And, uh, but it, it was so cool to, to experience them. For 99% of the rest of the country, it was across the street. But for those that know, yes, it, of course. And, uh, uh, one of the characters worked, I believe, at the Bluebird, which is 4104 Hillsboro Pike. And unlike the set, if you go to the real one and you see that mailbox out in front, there's a sticker of the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. I put that oh. there myself. Okay, don't tell anybody. I'll probably get arrested. But it's in your book. Taylor Swift That's and awesome. Garth Brooks were legends. Um, and legend has it, they were both discovered there. The manager told me Garth was passed on by more than 10 labels before performing there and got a standing ovation one night. Um, someone else got a standing over there too. Oh, right. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> it's really small, sells that quick and turns away a lot of folks in line. Uh, what does the Bluebird mean to you besides being in your book? The Bluebird was always Mecca for me. I remember uh, reading about it from the Garth stories. I remember seeing it on that old movie, uh, Thing Called Love, which it, it took place around the Bluebird Hollywood said, unfortunately, but a little bit was filmed uh, in the parking lot there. But that was always the place. First place I went when I came to town. When when I, I landed, my buddy had tickets to the Bluebird that night. And this was back in the 90s. So we um, made the trek down there. It was the very first thing I did was go to the Bluebird. So getting the play there, I, I just that was a dream come true for me. Uh, many, many moons ago, I stood out in line. I, I auditioned for Amy Curlin herself, which was legendary just to, to be able to do that. I passed the audition. Um, I wonder if I still have my score sheet somewhere around. I don't know. Uh, played there hundreds of times now, um, just just because of uh, that was the, the place to play. Um, so yeah, every time I go in there, there's there's magic in there. You always get that 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 just nostalgia feeling, knowing the history that that happened there, and then you get to be part of it. Who sang in those walls and who's still echoing in there? Garth's story is still one of my favorites. Just um, him stepping up when Ralph Murphy was didn't show up and. 
and uh and the guy from capital saying well i get, maybe we missed something we, we saw you yesterday and we said no but maybe we missed something so come back tomorrow and uh it's pretty pretty crazy and then yeah taylor taylor playing for scott borchetta for the first time there and seeing uh seeing what could become of her just she just passed a billion dollar uh wealth mark there which is absolutely insane all from the weird part is it all starts in this little tiny room just acoustic guitar and a voice and then you look at these empires that are built from uh from from those performances and and you can really pin it down to a, a singular moment where everything where history changes in that room yeah i had a musician friend out from seattle who uh, was able to get on the list and he was one of the artists that got to play and he also got uh drawn to do the second song after the first round and he played a song dedicated to his dad the day the night his dad ended up passing away so i'll oh. never forget the bluebird yeah. myself um your first book uh, uh someone named becky maybe on amazon review five stars love this book it's my go-to for all things nashville tourist a nash tourist she's she knows what she's saying <laughs> i live in town but have visitors all the time the book covers a ton of interest overall hands down the best pop culture visitor guide i've run across great buy everyone run out and buy that thanks becky uh what was your process for writing this particular book well, I need to send Becky five bucks, don't I? I, I don't <laughs> read my comments, so I didn't even know that was there. That's uh, that's awesome. I will have to quote her on that. He go to, uh, yeah. The the process was um, took me a year and a half total of of research, going around and asking questions, taking pictures, getting more interviews. But the it started when I was sitting in a room with uh, Kent Blazy, and Kent Blazy wrote, "If tomorrow never comes, uh, ain't going down till the sun comes up," and just all these giant Garth Garth hits. And we're, I was lucky enough to be writing, uh, writing a couple songs with him. And, uh, and he just mentioned, yeah, well, the house that I, I wrote up tomorrow never comes in is just, you know, around the corner over in, you know, in green, actually, it's right behind the Bluebird, about two blocks behind the Bluebird, actually, on Warfield. And um, said, yeah, also the house where I introduced Garth and Trisha, and they'd sang a duet. And that's the first place they met. And I'm sitting there going, hold on a second, there's a house sitting there in green hills that nobody knows about that's got you know that has all the history of garth and trisha meeting let alone where you wrote if tomorrow never comes let alone all these other you know just probably historical songs were uh recorded there if you're doing demos there kent and so i started uh i asked about a few other songs of his and he gave me the lowdown on those and then i asked some other legendary writers i knew like jim mcbride he wrote chattahoochee and chasing that neon rainbow for alan jackson and he's like, oh, yeah, just around the corner down to the house. I was sitting in the attic and came up with the or was reading a magazine about the Chattahoochee River. And I just started humming a song about Chattahoochee and up in the attic at so and so, you know, drive over just down the road. I'm like, OK, hold on a second. So that just got me going. That was that was the genesis. That's where it all um, really came about. And so, yeah, I just started asking any and everybody any fun stuff they knew about Nashville. It wasn't here's the coolest bar or a great hotel to go to. That That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is. Here's the crazy crap you never knew um, uh, happened in, in Nashville, and you may have may have heard the legend, but here's the here's the truth behind it. And it was a lot of uh, a lot of just a lot of stories I couldn't put in print from uh, like Jerry Kennedy and Jerry Douglas. They took me around Music Row and gave me all their stories about some some uh, debauchery that that occurred. And uh, they also you know, interesting. They there were a few times where there were competing memories too. Somebody said this way and the other person said this way. So you'd have to kind of find the balance and, and give each uh, each memory their respect. But uh, for the most part, yeah, it's just a great journey down Nashville pop culture history and not just not just the general stuff you see in a gray line. It's the underground stuff you never knew you didn't know. Yeah, the good stuff. That makes it all the more uh, valuable. So pick that up, everybody. Uh, second edition 
of uh we're working um, on an is app out right now. now actually i just uh, did a oh. couple calls today regarding a, a new app for it and um so we're thinking rather than print a third edition we'll just get the the phone app going and then people can log on and see what uh see what new things they're they're missing and and have it right there on their phone when they're when they're gallivanting around nashville very cool all right well the second edition that is out there is uh let's see houses uh all the houses tv show from nashville the specific houses and locations where dozens of your favorite hit songs were written like you said along with the stories behind the songs dozens of celebrity homes like tim mcgraw and faith hill jason aldean carrie underwood alan jackson al gore uh Reese Witherspoon, Taylor Swift, Garth Brooks, and Cheryl Crow. They must love that. It's like the old map to the stars you buy on the corner in Hollywood. Um, that, yeah, that's that's a, pretty inclusive. Uh, that's kind of the reason we haven't gone into the third print is because I printed this back before everybody went crazy and doxing became an issue when fans were just like, yeah, I just want to go drive by and Greyhound buses would, or gray line buses would go past them. And and now it's, uh, you know, it's I don't want to put anybody in that position with, you know, with just all the anybody getting a little too overzealous so we're gonna hold back on the third printing and then make the uh make sure that all the celebrity houses that are that are accessible are either very very publicly known or Grayland tour houses and then keep the uh keep the very private ones private just to make sure we don't cross any lines there yeah yeah good luck getting over uh mount richmore fence where uh john rich lives but at least they can say there yeah, it is yeah. right there but you can walk uh, past the big old giant block there and if you know if you happen to if you happen to go by al gore's house and you have a basket of eggs you know i can't tell you what to do with those but yeah uh, at least you know where uh where that corner is yeah with inflation <laughs> we can't afford those uh throwing those eggs but you also have the seedy <laughs> details of Nashville's dark side with sites of infamy such as the worst train wreck in United States history, the secrets of Printer's Alley, the sites of infamous murders, and even the peephole that launched Aaron Andrews' career from ESPN. Uh, is that the majority of them or is there some other stuff that people should check out in that book? Oh, man. Well, we got 520 some sites in there. So, oh, that that's it's a. Uh... There's plenty to look at. Those are just some highlights that people would know, but there's uh, lots and lots more in there for sure. I actually forgot that Aaron Andrews uh, happened here in Nashville. I, I didn't put that together. Uh, yeah, that was the, uh, that was that, um, was it Marriott right across? It's one way attached to P.F. Chang's right across from Vander, uh, from Centennial uh, Park there, crossing the Parthenon. Um, yeah, so, and it, yeah. uh, I won't give you the room number, but the room number's in the book. <laughs> you know, but good good warning sign for those who uh, may want to stay there that there's potentially holes in your wall watch out <laughs> especially if you're famous yeah. okay and famous you get, uh, graves 10, 10 million dollar uh, settlement from uh from the hotel company if you want to too better than frequent flyer miles uh famous graves of dozens of celebrities and their locations i guess i should have known there were dozens of celebrities buried here but who who jumps out at you uh for famous graves Oh, all sorts there. One of the ones that always stands out is uh, she's a little bit out of town, kind of towards Loveless uh, Cafe, but Donna Summer. Donna Summer is out there. Uh, if you go to Woodlawn, Woodlawn's just full of them. Um, the uh, the obvious ones are Marty Stewart out there and Porter Wagner, but just uh, one that's out there and you, you never know to look for it. And it's not even on their main uh, main marker for tourism, but Dobie Gray. The, huh. Give me the beat for the free my soul. I want that guy. He's out there in Woodlawn, and you know probably doesn't get many visitors. So that always breaks my heart because he's just not on the uh, not on the main list. But yeah, old Dobie Gray's out there, and you got all the uh, the Harold brothers. You got uh, or the Shed brothers. You got uh, everybody inside, like uh, little Jimmy Dickens and um, oh, 
uh yeah you name it man they're all they're all hanging out in woodlawn for the most part but then scattered out through uh throughout the rest of town as well yeah you must have done a ton of research to figure that out that's uh that that how long did it take year you to and make a half this a man year and a year half, and a half. Okay. <laughs> famous food and restaurant locations of course that give nashville its own unique flavor and culinary history the history of nashville Monumental Civil War locations uh, to sites instrumental to the founding and development of Music Row. That's interesting. And even the first location that Jimi Hendrix used the name Jimmy. Where was that? That was in the uh, Supper Club down on Printer's Alley. It's um, I could take you to it. I don't know what's in there now because it changes every few months what uh, what what's in there. But if you just go past uh, Lonnie's, the... Uh karaoke place and then there's a couple steps leading up to a big old double door i think it's red i want to say it's red but uh big old double door and that used to be the the, the supper club in there and he uh, it was named something else at the time forgot what it was but that was the first stage he uh he would play on and and use the name jimmy wow so, there you go all right uh, and that history would be lost forever if not for you uh and exactly. then there's the bluebird again the bluebird cafe right on the cover of your book uh, think they'll end up moving with that huge apartment building going up next to it more you know modern day parking was already bad now forget it when the when that's built yeah i don't think they'll end up moving uh my fear was always they're going to knock the wall out but that probably takes that out of um of contention now too uh i hope they just stay the same i don't think it'd be the same if they did anything different to it it wouldn't it would be just uh not the original and an absolute disappointment if they decided to go that route <laughs> Mm, yeah it, it looks very strange to have that big high rise right next to that little you know uh, yep. nonchalant little out of the way place but we had donaldson like up yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah uh we had donaldson bowl's last managers on here husband and wife legends jesse and todd uh back on episode 96 to reminisce about the famous bowling alley selling to mm -hmm. real estate developer after 63 years kind of like what we're talking about with bluebird and now it's gone uh, was the city's oldest. Um, was it in your book? And, and what do you miss most living here that's kind of under construction or not there anymore? Uh, yeah, the bowling alley was not in the book, um, but I'll have to uh, check that out. So I'll definitely listen to that episode and get the get the lowdown on that, see if it's something that, that warrants getting in there for sure. Um, well, I mean, the obvious thing I personally miss is just open roads as long as I've been here <laughs> Back in the day when I moved here, you could get anywhere you wanted in like 10 minutes from as far, you know, get, if you drove fast enough, Murfreesboro to downtown in 10 minutes, if you're, if you're lucky. But, um, so yeah, that's the big change I've seen. You've talked about 80,000 people a year and not a whole lot of them are leaving. So, uh, it's just getting more and more, um, more and more congested as, as, as far as what's gone. Um, yeah, there's just a lot, there's, uh, just a lot of the music row stuff, really gets me like just certain houses they knocked all that tract where uh bobby zadelauer used to be which is unfortunate they um luckily they built around the quonset hub but they used to have columbia studios right there they could uh, would be nice they actually kept that studio in there just for posterity that would have been super cool um but and some of it's just like venues that are still there but just not the same such as it's the wolf the something the wolf stand or the wolf the something wolf the but down on um, Woodmont in Five Points in East Nashville, it used to be the French Quarter and used to play there all the time in my band. But that was the first place where um, Kings of Leon played. 
and oh. you walk in this bar now and you would never know that that's there it just looks totally different and just a different place so things get get adjusted and you just don't realize that there was absolute history being made in um in these buildings but and i, that, I don't know if it's your cup of tea but we had the new owner of the station in on um the bluegrass legendary place which is the oldest building in that part of nashville which is called the gulch and it's still there and it used to have uh, a brothel under the stage and now it's where they store all the equipment i'm told but <laughs> that was that was a phenomenal story um and it's kind of like what you're talking about is built up all around it there's a 20-story w hotel right next to it but you still have this bunker looking uh place that makes amazing music almost every night um that and then what about beachwood hall that's something that's on some people's radar down here where I live in Williamson County, Franklin area, where it was owned by, oh, was it Waylon Jennings, I believe? And they wanted to convert it and make it something more workable. But uh, some of the celebrities in town who used to own it, I think Kid Rock, for example, didn't want him to do it. And so there's a little bit of a fight, save Beachwood Hall, although I don't really know how not letting it be preserved to save, not saving it. But do you know anything about that? And is that in your book? I know zero. I'm going to have to make a note of that because that sounds like something right up my alley on uh, on what I'm going for. So, uh, yeah, right. a yeah. lot of the again, the, the last edition of the book came out a few years back and I haven't updated it. I haven't done a whole lot of research on the on the new stuff. So keep it coming there, Steve. I want to know exactly what's uh, all right for your app. Yeah, my his, the history the of this show. There's plenty of that, but definitely Beachwood Hall is a thing where you drive around Franklin and you'll see signs save Beachwood Hall. What the heck is that? Okay. Oh, it's a house where. I believe it was Waylon Jennings used to live, got into disrepair. They want to, the new owner wants to create something more out of it. I don't know if it's a hotel or something. Uh, it's near kind of where Kicks Brooks has his, his Arrington Farms vineyards and uh, Kid Rock doesn't want to do it. Don't know. Something to look at. But anyway, your next book, yeah. Secret Nashville, a guide to the oh, weird, wonderful and obscure Secret Nashville is an enigmatic tour through the eclectic locations and one-of-a-kind objects scattered around the city and beyond. For the casual visitor to Music City, it offers a much deeper dive into the sightseeing waters. And for the natives, it is the perfect complement for remembering the legacies and legends of the area. Um, that is your newer one, right? That's your second book? Uh, now You Know Nashville is the first book. I self-published that. And uh, again, yeah, that took me a year and a half. And then I got a publisher uh, who... Asked if I'd do a book for for their company, so I did that, and that one took me six weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> we go from a year and a half on book one to six weeks on number two. You've learning gotten good curve, at it, yeah. Uh, definitely a learning curve, but also just uh, they put a little deadline pressure on me. Had to get it done. Whether you're a Nashville native, a transplant, or a tourist, Music City has secrets you may still not know about. Now there's a local author who's highlighting the weird, wonderful, and obscure. That's what News Channel Five. Our friend Phil Williams is at News Channel 5, sarcasm. Uh, he went after Franklin pretty hard. Anyway, uh, tell us about that book, aside from the rush deadline and having to do it. What, what will people get out of that book that, that they may not already know? Yeah, those are just, um, those are actually new spots. I had a, there were maybe four that repeated from Now You Know Nashville, but it was a brand new set of different pop culture locations in that one. And um yeah, I've, I've enjoyed trying to trying to dig a little bit deeper into uh, into some of the mysteries that were were still around at that time. Um, There's a lot. Of yeah, that. and also you know we'll also go into architecture in this book. We kind of throw around the 
all the interior secrets of um, the Opperland Hotel it had like four pages on that just alone. Whereas in now, you know, Nashville, the first book, it was quick blurbs, tiny little things that you could read so quick, take it 30 seconds, get the gist. These were deeper dives. These are okay. Well, here's what's going on. Deeper explanations of, uh, of a lot of these locations. So it's it, uh, more for the reader for sure. And a lot more, a lot more research, but kind of, kind of easier to write because there were less, uh, less locations just uh more more interesting and and uh more unique ones in that one very cool yeah from the mysteries of the broad skyline silhouette down to the fine white strands of andrew jackson's hair this book explores nashville in a brand new light with over 90 unique and compelling obscurities casting the honky-tonk neon into the shadows to find the forgotten and unknown lore behind tennessee's iconic capital city that sounds really cool. Um, where in Nashville can you see a bear cave in a front yard, swim in a guitar-shaped pool? Is that John Rich's house? Uh, he probably has one, but no, that was Webb Pierce's and then Spence Manor were the two uh, okay, main ones. Yeah. yeah, not open to the public. I've been there. Um, nope. <laughs> explore an ancient grotto. I wonder where that is. Open the mysterious door to nowhere. Tell us about that and get your fortune told by Willie Nelson. He's available for that. He is, yeah. If you, if you got a quarter, he sure is. <laughs> uh, yeah, the door to nowhere was the infamous um, door behind RCAB. If you go down, uh, uh, like a Seventeenth Avenue, and you'll see the uh, RCA Studios hanging out on your left, on the right behind second floor. There's a door sitting up there. Who goes out that door? Who goes in? There's no staircase. There's no banister. There's no. Uh, yeah whatever the gate to keep you from falling out kind of deal it's just a door on the side of the building uh rumor has it and again the names are in the book and they, they kind of escape me but uh uh there was somebody who had a demo that they wanted um some big artist to cut and they knew they were in that building that day so they rented a cherry picker and went up to and got that cherry picker in front of that door and knocked on the door and kept knocking until somebody answered they're like hey this needs to go to so and so and uh Handed the uh, handed the tape off and got the song cut. <laughs> so, oh, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, you don't hear you, you don't see that happen much anymore. You hear those stories, but those, that one is actually verified uh, to have occurred. And you can play the piano staircase. I have been here a year and a half. I have not seen the piano staircase yet. Where is that? Well, you need to go to Margaritaville more often. Get you on the staircase. Do some uh, chopsticks over there. Is that where it is? Okay. Yeah. yeah you're not a, you're not a, not a true tourist until you've done that for sure. Come on. Trying to be a local. Yeah. It's difficult, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I will have to get into Margaritaville. And now with Garth Brooks's big thing going in there, I'll probably never make it past the first block of Broadway, but um, yeah, here you have some exciting things going on right now. Of course, those are your books. And so moving on hit maker, Mason Douglas is on a mission to cancel division with his new music video. I miss America. Uh, which has quickly become a viral favorite with over a half million views and climbing fast. That's old. So it's probably already climbed very fast. The We're release is a part... million. Yeah. Coming up yeah. on a million now. Congratulations. The release is part of a promotional campaign designed to help spark conversations and bring us back together. Wow. Unbelievable. You may have noticed that I miss America billboards up around town. We are pretty divided it's now Israel versus, um, you know, the savage terrorists and Hamas supporters in cities and university campuses. Do you think we might be past music, kumbaya moments, or buy the world a Coke to bridge our differences? Or can we still do it with music like yours? I hope not. Music is all I know. Again, I had a fighter pilot dad who went out and blew stuff up and shot holes and stuff. And uh, But I never served. I was just a songwriter. But I still 
believe that um, I still believe that. Well, here, here's what I think, and here's kind of why the song was written: is that we're all not. I don't think we all live on that fringe. I think we are being fed the fringe consistently and overly consistently, and we it makes us think that everybody who doesn't think the way we think is an absolute nut job. But you know, we look at our neighbors, we look at our friends, and uh, people down at the at the bar, and we're drinking beers with and. I think everybody probably has a little bit of different train of thought, but we're all hanging out in similar areas, whether or not we're red or blue, left or right. Um, and those are the people we're talking to. I don't think there's any hope for everybody in the fringe. Everybody's, uh, you know, too too far out is probably too far gone, and they're probably not going to jump on this message whatsoever. But everybody else with the with the right mind, those I think those are the vast majority. And if we all start talking and, and figuring stuff out, then we can probably. Uh, We'll probably cancel out the um um the the fringe and everybody the media is feeding us and 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 yeah and hopefully make a difference with um with that core group of people rather than all the the, the noise that we're hearing these days i love that because if you talk about the silent majority well what's the opposite of silence how about music and so you're doing exactly that you're representing the majority who don't want to speak with music and so you co-wrote it with billboard hot 100 writer and producer clarence J. Tell us a little about him. Oh, Clarence is uh, one of the smartest guys and talented guys I know in the business. Uh, he reminds me a lot of uh, Ahmed uh, Erdogan from Atlantic Records, just yeah. in his presence and the way he wants to network with everybody, get everybody together. But then you sit in the studio and just create and and uh, Noah holds barred. So Clarence is a, a, a wise talent for sure. Um, we've written a few songs here. This one just kind of popped out with... Um, talking about the world we're living the the world we're bringing our kids up in he's uh, got a daughter and i've got a two-year-old toddler running around and we're just like man this is i, I, I miss the america that we we grew up in and and that's where it all kind of stemmed from i i had the hook sitting in my hook book and I'm like well i actually got a title called miss america but not you know not the pageant it's this other thing and um so yeah we, we started working on the uh working on the track and those lyrics just i mean that that's what the conversation was about it's like man we used to we used to have a backbone. We used to be John Wayne and people respected us. Now they're just laughing at us everywhere. And how do we, how do we get past that? Cause everybody just sees these headlines and thinks America's a bunch of idiots, but I don't think we are. We just need to, the, the non-idiots need to speak a little louder. Yeah. And you could be, I think <laughs> you're on the winning side there. Cause you know, Miss Nicaragua just won the international pageant and there were two men who dressed as women in that contest. So luckily I guess for reality, not, neither of those two lovely people won, but the, the real woman, Miss Nicaragua, did. So I love how it's okay. I miss America for Miss America. That was great. Um, yeah, there you go. Now, uh, Kid Rock is obviously very prominent in Nashville. We just talked about him a little bit with some of his politics on this, but uh, he 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 has a, he has a bar on Broadway. Not everyone knows mm -hmm. that from not here. Um, definitely wins the award for loudest spilling into the street bar. Um, he, he famously emptied his AR into Bud Light. I think he introduced Trump the C to the CEO of Bud at a wrestling match very recently. Is Kid Rock on board with the we must come together as a nation in order to move forward team? And and I assume uh, Clarence was. That's how you guys came together and talked about it. So is there a musical movement for centrism, let's say, out there with famous people like Kid Rock? Absolutely. I think that's everybody looks at Kid Rock and they think, oh, man, he's so right. He's just insane and right. But if you read his interviews, he just gave one two days ago where he's saying, I don't care what you do. If you don't have a problem with me, I don't have a problem with you. Everybody, let's get along. 
But if you throw it in my face and you shove it down my throat, that's where I'm going to have a problem with you. And I think that's what everybody's thinking. Just be be who you are. Everybody's cool with it. And we'll be who I am. Let us, you think what you want to think. I'll think what I want to think. We're not trying to change that, especially with Miss America song. That's the whole point is you think what you want to think. I'll think what I want to think, but we still can have a conversation about how to make uh, how to make America better. The, the first two lines of the chorus are the whole crux. They say, I miss the old days when we came together and we'd all say, let's make it better. And that's that's the whole point is, man, we all used to come together to to make it better rather than fighting internally, fighting civil war, talking civil war. And we got bigger problems than uh, than inside the borders to deal with because there's a whole lot happening outside the borders. I think it, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I, I feel like um, from what I know of Kid Rock and uh, call him Bob, that's uh, what he has his call him. But from what I know of Bob, he he's right there on board. Just uh, everybody think what they want to think, uh, everybody be who they want to be, but just don't tell him what to think and you'll all be good. United we stand. Yeah, that's the big theme of this show itself is that, you know, we love everybody for what they want to be. But when you try to bring it into the political arena, and force the majority of people to look at this and we don't want to, then we got a problem. So that's where we try to shine the light. So it's fantastic that you're doing what you're doing. Um, you told the Nashville Publicity Group that you're on a mission to cancel division. Less fighting, more uniting. That's what we need. Um, are you seeing it happening? And how can people help you? Yeah, well, we're we're still on that uh, those early stages of uh, trying to make it happen. We're getting the word out there. We want people to agree. We want all the comments that coming in on YouTube and Facebook have all been uh, vastly majoritively positive, with a few just outlier trolls sitting there. But uh, everybody pretty much saying, "Yeah, this is exactly what we need." We hope to spark the conversation to you know be a op- little bit more open minded when you have that conversation with somebody about, okay, well, we didn't used to be this way, so I don't have to be this way anymore. It seems uh, people on the right don't have really any problem with it. It is obviously we're seeing it more on the folks on the left who want to stifle what the right stands for and and um, and don't don't have anything, any other argument than just name calling. And that's the frustrating part is we can bring this message out there, but it just ends up um, in in name calling. So that's that's the challenge we're up against against seeing any true change. I think the more we do it, though, the more we bring that message of unity, less fighting more uniting it just it will have to um it will have to start sinking in at some point my advice to people is to not just name call and go back and forth but bring educate yourself by reading don't just go with the headline or opinion pieces read uh, all kinds of different uh literature on it uh judge yourself whether or not it's uh, it's true or not but the more the more you read the more stuff you check out then you will begin to understand what is fake and what is real and that's the biggest part of that you will have a, a foundation for your argument when you go into um into these discussions with people you can keep it more civil knowing that you're right knowing that you have a foundation for your argument uh rather than just being like well i don't know and you're stupid so kiss it you know <laughs> um we don't want to get into that we want we want education that's that's the big thing um so that's for very adults, good advice as people sit around kids, the... education get the uh keep the we got to get that back on track because the uh liberalism has absolutely taken over the education system as well that's that's a whole nother ball game but that is on the radar radar as well yeah that's a good advice for when we're sitting around thanksgiving table with family who probably don't agree with us is just to remind them that the constitution is for everybody but so is the decision that we can make if we want or not want to. So what's next for you? Uh, what are you working on now? 
Oh man, we're uh, we're approaching this video. We want everybody to go check out the uh, the video. Oh, you, you mentioned earlier, uh, how can they help? Please go watch the video. It's called "I Miss America." Mason Douglas. Find it on YouTube, on Facebook, and find it all on TikTok. TikTok is where all the trolls come out and just um, beat my reputation to smithereens hilariously. I'm I don't. That's why I don't look look at comments at all because that is just funny. But go battle the battle there if you like what you see. Um, share the video on Facebook. Share the video on YouTube. Again, comment um that's what we, we we just want people to see it and get the message out there the uh america is the dinner table in that uh in that video we have the awesome victoria jackson hanging out being playing portraying my mom and my dad the the uh air force uh, veteran that we were talking about he makes a cameo in the uh dinner scene so that's super cool i, I lost him 30 years ago so it's great oh. to see him um, be able to be part of my music and, and part of this message and in that video so please check that out and uh but yeah america's the dinner table we're all different we're all sitting around it but we can all still come together and and uh and hang out and and have a great time in the end you have any um, live performances for, coming up or any way people can see you i hear you uh actually let's see here i have a uh uh a gop fundraiser in january and i think that's about it for right now we're working on uh Working on a few things. I'll always pop up doing listening room shows and a bluebird here and there. But uh, right now, it's strictly online and, and social pushing for uh, for getting people to hear this video. All right. Well, keep us posted. We'll put it in the show notes and we'll put it on um, our Facebook page. Thank you so Thank much you so for much. your time and for coming on here. Happy holidays. Um, did, you, did you mention your Twitter handle or anything that people could find you on social? Oh. Uh, you just if you just look up Mason Douglas, um, actually Mason Douglas Music will take you right to my website, and you can find all my socials on there. Probably the easiest because it's centralized. Uh, but also go to imissamerica.com. That's a big one as well. Um, we uh, we have merch on there, which we give a small proceed to um, a portion. I said small proceed, a portion of uh, proceeds from that go to uh, military foundations that we're we have spread across the board right now. We've got some Black Friday sales on that coming up. We want people to see uh, like here, the thought is okay. Well, if they have a red MAGA hat, that's one thing. If they have a vagina hat, that's another thing. But if they have an I Miss America hat, you're like okay, I know where you stand. I know exactly what we're talking about. It can be you can be one or the other, MAGA or vagina, doesn't matter. But I Miss America, you're we can talk to you. We know you're level headed. We know you're um, not uh, not gonna. We know we can have a good conversation, I guess, with that. So get yourself uh, brand yourself with one of those hats and, and shirts. That would be awesome just to spread the message and. Um, so yeah, those are the websites. Those will get you to all the, the socials and spread what you can. And man, thank you very, very, very much for letting me come and, and yap at you here for a little while. I appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks for coming on. With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof, look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. You're listening to the Mill Creek View podcast, and this is Alan Shacklock. 
I'm a record producer, an educator, and an orchestrator, and everything else I can get my hands on. <laughs> Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show, where we cover what we just heard and whatever's on my mind. Producer Steve, what do you think of our guest, Mason Douglas? I really enjoyed that, and uh, you spent a lot of time on his books. I probably would like to have heard more about his music, but uh, interesting guy, and I love the fact that uh, he's saying, "Look, we let's quit dividing." Let's, you know, I turned off the news. I don't know five, six years ago, so I don't listen to it. I get a lot of it from you, Steve, but uh, mm-hmm. um, the message is really good. We need to join join together and just accept one another. I do a lot of traveling, and to be honest, everywhere I go, if you're out walking the same trails, if you're exploring the same sightseeing places, you know, all of a sudden you have something in common, even though you have no clue who these people are. You're going, we're we're both here, because we're both interested in hiking these trails, checking out these natural scenes, going to this show, going to these uh, historical sites, and you realize everybody, no matter what their preference is, anybody who's there, you have something in common. You both wanted to be there. So I think yeah. if we think about that, if you're in our neighbor, if you're in the neighborhood, good chance that the people that live there, they want to be there like you. So you have something to start out being in common with. Yeah, I think one of the worst things that ever happened to this country and I guess the world would be the 24-hour news cycle with cable TV. Oh. You know, CNN's Ted Turner was able to launch during the Gulf War and it didn't exist prior to that. People would only tune into the nightly news and it was usually you know, Ozzie and Harriet, the dad, or reading the the newspaper. The kids didn't bother with that. They're outside playing. They certainly weren't looking at a 4K TV playing video games all day. And then when they got competition with Fox on the right and MSNBC on the left, and then sometimes CNN, and then sometimes this and that, it, it just changed the whole dynamic. And so now all of a sudden your leftists are going to one channel and your people on the right are going to the other channel. And so it totally bifurcated the TV. And then some of these junkies, news junkies, and I'm one of the crazy people who read Chris Matthews' Hardball back when MSNBC <laughs> first started. I was like, oh, and he gave away all the tricks. And they even said, why do you want to do that? Those are our tricks. And so now you just have these Thanksgivings and Christmases that are a nightmare because nobody gets along. Well, we got a comment, and I always promised I would read them. So this time on Facebook. So as promised, you write to me, I will read it. Uh, it says, my name is, well, let's call him Bill to keep him safe. Me and my wife, Lindsay, share this Facebook page. I am a state trooper for Tennessee. Thank you for your service, Bill. We love troopers. Uh, when I am in my car, I try my best to listen to your podcast. Thank you. Cool. I first heard of you from Matt Murphy on 99.7. Okay, my friend, Matt Murphy. We live in, you can hear me every last Thursday of the month on Matt Murphy at 99.7. We live in Franklin and I love it here. I feel like this is one of the few places left to raise a family the right way. I agree. I hope you have a great day and I'm looking forward to new podcast okay well thank you very much i really appreciate it um uh let's play well let me talk start with this uh no let's play clip number one all right here we go i'm out of order here so let's try this george barna's latest survey and i won't read my column but i just want to give you the bullet points of george barna's latest findings Barna has been surveying and researching the state of Christianity in America for decades. 
No one does it better than he does. This is his specialty. This is his latest survey. Let me just give you the, the highlights from his findings. And this is all born-again Christians that are answering the survey. Born-again Christians. Born-again Christians believing in the sinless life of Jesus Christ fell from 58% to 44% over the last three years. It's better. Worse. Born-again Christians who believe they have an individual calling from God, of course that would include the personal call to salvation, fell from 88% to 46% over the last three years. Born-again Christians who understand the Bible's clear teaching on killing babies in the womb, abortion, fell from 58% to 44% over the past three years. Wow, Steve. And he's just warming up. Yeah, we got a few more clips. What do you think so far? Well, I think when you look at the very beginning, if Jesus wasn't sinless, then hey, everything else pretty much slides right along with that. I mean, the fact is, he lived a perfect life. God incarnate came to this world, lived a perfect life for 33 years, died, buried, rose again. We know the story. But if you don't believe that he was sinless, Yes, he was tempted in every way, but the Bible says specifically that he was tempted in all ways, but he did never sin because he, he was the perfect lamb. So that is core to the Christian faith. That is core to the message of the scriptures. And if you don't believe that, Steve, I mean, I guess, I guess Jesus really didn't, he couldn't have paid the price, could he? Yeah. Let's hear what else he figured out. Born-again Christians who say human life is sacred fell from 60% to 48% over the last three years. Born-again Christians who actually practice, and that's a quote, practice their faith fell from 85% to 50% over the past three years. So I guess that people who profess are no longer practicing. Is that they what just you're saying? I, I believe they know not what they do. I believe they're practicing. They go to church, but they don't get it. Like you said just a second ago, there's a serious, serious tax or entry fee to be a Christian. And they are going for the music, they're going for the message, but they are not getting the spirit that they're supposed to. Let's hear what else you had to say. Only 44% of born-again Christians believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. Only 46% 
say they have been given a personal call by God. 44% do not understand or care to know God's condemnation of killing unborn babies in the womb. 48% believe human life is sacred. 48. And 50% say they try to practice their faith. These are all born-again Christians professing. I want to be very clear here. People who do not believe that the Bible is God's holy, inspired word are not born-again Christians. Because if you don't believe what the, the scriptures say, then apparently what it says, that Jesus is sinless, <laughs> it kind of goes, goes right along with it, doesn't Steve? It does. And here's what we're talking about here. Obviously, we talked a couple weeks ago about the polls that showed, are you for Hamas or are you for Israel in this war that they're fighting in the Middle East? Well, if you knew a thing or two about the Bible, you would it would be an unquestioning that you would be in favor of Israel and their self-defense versus the Hamas killers that are trying to um, wipe Israel off the map and have been for two or three generations at this point. Well, if you knew your Bible and you were a Christian, especially a born-again Christian, you wouldn't say that. But they're not teaching you that in college. They're not teaching you that in your church. They're not teaching that you that uh, by your pastors, for the most part, especially in some of these new pseudo-religions that profess to be uh, 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 modern. Let's just call it modern, right? You go, there, you go there for the music. You go for there for the smoke machine. You're not there to save your soul or your family's soul. And that's why we can get poll numbers and statistics like that or a Democratic Party that's been in the lead uh, for many, many years when they were the ones that actually put into the bylaws of their party trying to take God out of it completely. That's how we got into this position that we're in in 2023, in my humble opinion. Um, was that the end of his? Uh, we have a, uh, about uh, three more minutes worth. Uh, we got another two clips if you'd like to play, or we can move on. What would you like to do? Um, I would like to hear his 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 finale there. Um, uh, tell everyone who he is. Uh, his name is Chuck Baldwin. You can find him at Liberty Fellowship Montana, MT. And, Go uh, for it. Yeah, so I've been listening to him off and on for years. And, uh, and I just want to say that people need to divide, uh, need to parse out the, pro uh, the scriptures and parse out what's being done. Um, the Palestinians are people. Hamas is a group, just like Israel is a people, but uh, Zionism is a movement. And I may not agree with Zionism or Hamas, but I believe that Israel and Palestinians, Israelis and Palestinians, both have the right to live and have the right to life, and they both need Jesus. And so I don't pick sides on that one, but the, the dividing, just like we were talking about with our guest, with the blue, the red, the, the vagina hat versus the MAGA hat. That's kind of what I see is Zionist, Zionism versus Hamas. They're both very, fac, you know, factionally um, just 
totally hate each other, whereas the average person really just wants to live their life, get along, have a life, and leave them alone. And so whether it's in Israel and Palestine, whether it's in America or around the world, the average person just wants to raise a family, have a nice neighborhood, and, they d- and, and it's when these disrupt. I, took, I, I wrote a whole book about dividing us and deception, and there are, there are powers. We've talked about the FBI, the CIA, and how they use and, and other enterprises like that all around the world, Steve. They stir up things. They even launch things. And then it makes you go, that's the bad guy. we got to go get him when those people didn't even do it. So I know this. That's why the, the news uses these things to incite one another. And we cannot incite one another over things that you and I really, quite frankly, unless we're standing on a street corner and we see something happen, I, it's all hearsay. So mm-hmm. I, all right, I, let's, hear what, let's yeah. hear what he has to say. Let's go. Here we go. People who do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin are not Christians. People who do not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life are not Christians. People who do not believe that Jesus died a vicarious death on the cross for our sins are not Christians. People who do not believe that Jesus rose bodily from the grave are not born-again Christians. People who do not believe that Jesus is God in flesh, man's creator, become man's redeemer, are not Christians. And people who do not believe that salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ with no works of the law required by his sinless life and vicarious death, Jesus kept and fulfilled the law for us. People who do not believe that salvation is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ with no works of the law required are not Christians. They're not. Here we go. I can't say it any better than that. Stay tuned for my last quotes of the day. Hey, folks, I'm John Rich, and you're listening to Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. Tune in soon and tune in often. God bless you. I don't my quotes for the day but before i share i want to remind everyone to subscribe to mill creek view podcast that's tennessee washington and florida just go to rumble or spotify or itunes search for mill creek view and hit the subscribe button and follow all three why not be sure to check out our new business show ceo special we should have a new one out this week and i interview uh great businesses folks doing good business and i really hope you like it
I was captured by the songs as much as the singer. They grabbed my heart. The reality of country music moved me. Even when I was a kid, I liked the sad songs, songs that talked about true life. I recognized this music as a simple plea. It beckoned me. Harlan Howard, born in Detroit in 1927, died 2003 in Nashville, age 74. In a career spanning six decades, Howard wrote many popular and enduring songs recorded by a variety of different artists. I don't know why we like country music. Some of it I don't think we do like. I think it speaks to our basic fundamental feelings, you know, of emotions, of love, of breakup, of love and hate and death and dying. Mama, apple pie, and the whole thing. It covers a lot of territory. Country music does. Johnny Cash. The song The Wall also became a hit for Johnny Cash on his studio album Orange Blossom Special, as well as his Live at Folsom Prism album, written by Harlan Howard. I just quoted him. I recorded a song called I Fall to Pieces, and I was in a car wreck. Now I'm worried because I have a brand new record, and it's called Crazy. Patsy Cline. Among his biggest hits was I Fall to Pieces, co-written with Patsy Cline. It's just a sound and a feeling that's in the music, and you either hear it and appreciate it, or you don't. Emmy Lou Harris. Didn't write anything with Horlin that I could find. Oh, I think it's definitely spiritual. All music is. I think it's maybe one of the highest forms of spirituality. Willie Nelson. On March 3rd, 2023, Willie Nelson released his 73rd studio album. I don't know a thing about love. The songs of Harlan Howard. Produced by Buddy Cannon. The album is a tribute to Harlan Howard. Stay tuned after the show for some bonus material with me back on Fault Lines in D.C. talking about lawfare and turning everything that once was considered politics as usual into a felony. Sorry, uh, TECN didn't work out today, but Rumble viewers, you'll have to check out the, the podcast for that. It's worth it, though. Good stuff. I like those two guys, Jamal Thomas and Malik Abdul. Uh, glad they invite me on on occasion. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button. It's free. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Mason Douglas, for reminding us a song is a powerful thing and Nashville is a great place to visit. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time and G2G. I'm a soldier. That's what I am. This is Mason Douglas. Maybe you don't agree with me or just don't understand. Just like you, I've got a home and family And I leave it all behind when you call on me And I will fight for what is right For my country, for my stars and my stripes and I'll stand tall till the day I die. And if I fall, I'll have my brothers by my side. And I may come back home. Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines on Radio Sputnik. My name is Jamal Thomas. I'm joined with Malik Abdul, coming to you live out of our station in Washington, D.C. 
If you all just so happen to find yourself in the D.C. area, you can catch us on radio at 105.5 FM at 1390 AM. We're also kicking around in Kansas City at 102.9 FM and 104.7 FM. If you guys are digging what Malik and I are putting down, whatever platform you're consuming this content on, give us a like, share that audio, a video. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so with the chat, tweet, and of course, you can reach us by phone at 202-521-1320. Your engagement helps make this show what it is. Don't be shy. We're trying to get to you as time permits. We're going to be full today, though. We have a full cast of guests. But as we were pointing out, I, I've, I'm, I'm flustered by this a little bit because it takes a certain level of cojones to do something like this. But Hunter Biden is asking a federal judge for permission to subpoena former President Donald Trump, former Attorney General Bill Barr, and other justices or Justice Department officials in his criminal gun case. He is trying to say that they had something to do with the case being brought on and that they were basically out to get him. And this was the way that they got him. Now, again, this is really ironic considering Donald Trump has been saying the exact same thing. But whatever, this is Hunter Biden. He is out there pushing this narrative. To have a conversation with us, we're joined with Steve Abramovitz. He is owner and CEO of Mill Creek View and host of Mill Creek View podcast. Steve, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing this morning? Hey, guys, it's a bit early for the M&M imagery that's close to Halloween. <laughs> is it? Is it? I mean, there's, oh, man, there's all sorts of images. Him standing there with his erect penis and a gun in his hand. Yeah, we don't want those images. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, but I mean, he's acting like somebody besmirched his character as opposed to his own laptop besmirching. If all else fails and you know you're going to jail because even the totally corrupt DOJ and FBI can't help you, blame Trump. That's astonishing to me. I, when I read this, I was like, how did they have anything? I mean, for God's sake, the, the um, IRS agents, Shapley and Ziegler, come out and be like, look, they weren't going to have a case. New York Times even pointed out that Weiss wasn't going to prosecute this case. And it was only when Ziegler and um, Shapley came out that Weiss got a fire under him because I guess he was being embarrassed at that point. You have other situations where they were like, they wouldn't even let, meaning agents saying, they wouldn't even let us walk by the house, let alone break into the house in the way that they did Trump with Mar-a-Lago, meaning he got every last pass that a person could get. And he is now saying that he was politically prosecuted. Just astonishing to me. Give me your take on this. He faces up to 25 years in prison. It's convicted on all the charges. He faces one count of making a false statement in the purchase of a firearm. You and I would go to jail for that. Another of making a false statement related to information required to be kept by a federal firearms licensed dealer. And one other count of uh, possession of a firearm by a person who is an unlawful user of or addicted to controlled substances. You were talking about him voluntarily putting things on Pornhub. So he's obviously shameless, but none of that has anything to do with Trump, but they want to subpoena him. Just more election interference, in my opinion, you know, pile it on. Pretty sick using Hunter uh, drug trial to hit Trump, but that's the story of Hunter's life. They used him as a crack-addicted, porn-addicted, uh, sex-addicted uh, human uh, to do these deals with foreign governments and all this other stuff, you know, in a haze of crack and whatever. So um, I wouldn't put it past him. And so, you know, this boils down to the defense attorney, Abby Lowell. Some of the well-known political figures he's had to deal with were Bob Menendez, John Edwards, Jared Kushner, which is weird, Jim Wright, Dan Rostenkowski did time, Charles Keating, Gary Condit, if you remember him, uh, now working at Baskin-Robbins. 
So what I can tell from all those disgraced or, or did time is that like the OJ team of Kardashian, Shapiro, and Johnny Cochran, they're just trying to get Trump in here so it'll be a fifth of his uh, testimonies in trial leading up to his election. And we just saw what they're willing to do in Georgia where they released private videos of the defense by a defense attorney of uh, Jenna Ellis. So this is lawyers fighting lawyers about lawyers. To be fair, Steve, um, Hunter didn't have the crack pipe in his arm, I mean, uh, the crack needle in his arm when he was purchasing the gun, nor was he smoking crack at the exact time where he was paying for the gun. So, you know, there may be a defense on that. Also, innocent on all counts. Right, <laughs> right. But there's this other weird case where initially, if you remember, when they were bringing the case, there was tax charges, there was other charges, and the judge asked very something specific. Are you going to bring fair charges down the line? Meaning, are there going to be additional charges down the line to the charges that you basically have brought forth? Prosecution said, maybe. The defense said, no. And it fell apart. But it seems that they're only charging them with the gun charges. There has been no fair charge. And it seems that they've dropped the IRS charges. It's, it, it, can you explain this? I mean, is it just the way that the charges are breaking down now? Yeah, not only that, but after what you just described, I think that was in July, Christopher J. Clark quit the defense, knowing, and when, when, why do lawyers ever quit if they have a winning case or if they're going to become celebrities and make millions of selling uh, you know, legaldocuments.com? They quit when they're losing, not winning one. So Jeff, Jeff, Christopher J. Clark quits. In comes Abby Lowell, Democratic lawyer extraordinaire. I just listed his past experience to basically say he's going down. These are twenty. These are serious charges. What can we do? Why don't we take Trump with us? And it's funny because they want to bring in Bill Barr, who already said he didn't do the targeting that they're trying to accuse him of. So he's either going to have to come in and now say, yeah, I did, so I perjured myself last time, or no, I didn't, but I didn't do that. So I'm not exactly sure the strategy other than headlines and election interference. So Trump has to you know, pay more lawyer fees to defend himself against crazy accusations uh, because, oh, and then you got to look at the judge in that case, by the way. Don't forget Judge uh, Norica was appointed by Trump, but had the support of both Delaware senators, Tom Carper and Chris Coons. Chris Coons, the one who took Biden's seat to be the vice president for Obama, and also contributed $1,000 to Hillary Clinton in 2008 and 1000 to the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. Doesn't mean that's illegal. You can do that. That's fine. But you're of your buddy's son, and you don't like the other guy who beat Hillary. So, hmm, don't know. But uh, that, you could say the same thing about all the other trials as well. So I'm just chalking up as one more trial right before the election to try to make Trump muddy. Yeah, and so one of the things that in um, the lawsuit, so, well, this filings by Hunter Biden, and I actually pulled up the actual transcript that they're referencing. So Hunter Biden's team is referencing as part of this Donald Trump was involved, they were referencing um, the handwritten notes that Abby Lowell, which is one of Trump's, I believe maybe one of Trump's attorneys or something. No, no, I just said that's Hunter's attorney. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Lowell highlighted notes that were released in connection with the January 6th investigation, and part of those handwritten notes 
were actually um, used in Hunter in this filing that Hunter did. So what they reference as far as those handwritten notes, um, this is from, I guess this is from A.G. Rosen, who was Trump's, you know, attorney general, Jeff Rosen, whatever, yes. for me, acting attorney general. And so this is what he says. He says, then he says he was complaining about the appointment. This is Rosen talking, the appointment of the special prosecutors. And he said, you, meaning himself, D -A, you know, D.A.G. Rosen and I, would figure out what to do with Hunter Biden. So this is Donald Trump's actual quote to the two of them that they need to figure out, and these are the quotes, what to do with Hunter Biden. That's up to you guys. But additional quotes by Trump. People were criticize, criticize the DOJ if Hunter's not investigated for real. This is what Rosen says in his testimony. That was sort of an aside. That's all he said about it. It was a very brief comment, but it was off topic, and I wrote it down. Yep. This is what the Hunter Biden team is using as their evidence that Donald Trump was pressuring the DOJ to actually in An offhand comment. Right. It, that is acknowledged in the very transcript where they say this was sort of an aside. That's all he said about it. And he says it's up to you guys. And, he, and, he, and they say he says that's up to you guys. But they have, I mean, <laughs> you have had people. But can I tell you guys something? No, go ahead. This is real quick. So here's the quote from, uh, the, from the news. Rep public reporting, remember that phrase, reveals certain instances that appear to suggest incessant improper and partisan pressure applied by then-President Trump to Mr. Rosen, Donahue, and Barr in relation to an investigation of Mr. Biden. Public reporting? Isn't that what the whole Ukrainian perfect phone call and PP tape and the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax and on and on and on? That's potentially BS versus M&Ms on your thing. That's legit. We saw it. We know. Unfortunately, we're scarred by it, and Mike Johnson has supported the probe, but here's where I think it really gets interesting. The timing. Not only is it on the calendar one year from Election Day, but the Republicans in Congress, the Oversight Committee, just said Wednesday, last week, that it subpoenaed Joe Biden's son and brother, James Biden, who we talked about last month, to appear before depositions in an escalation of its impeachment inquiry into the Democrats. So if you remember, every time something came out about Biden family, not just the man, Biden, but Joe, within 24 hours, there was something about Trump, another mudslinging thing. This is like that. We've got an impeachment inquiry, subpoenas that are legit, that's in the record book for the family. And along comes, oh, Trump targeted my son in an election in an election year for crimes that he actually did on tape. But it, there's something more insidious about this. I mean, basically, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, there was a break. I'm sorry. Please finish. You're right. Very insidious. Well, the reason I'm saying that is they are making the same argument that Donald Trump made. They're basically saying, look, there was political pressure to get me. Well, the problem is you had um, the woman in New York ran on getting Trump, ran on getting him didn't know what she was going to get him on because she wasn't even in office at the time and gets in office and is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a civil trial. I'm going to get Trump. As I said, I was going to get Trump. You had clear pressure from the Biden administration, basically with this idea that, yeah, he's corrupt. We need to get him in some particular way. But, you know, uh, hands off, hands off. Merrick Garland, who hates Trump. 
used uh, Nixon used the IRS and Obama used the NSA to target people. I mean, that is nothing that I've seen before in way worse crimes. So if they're just trying to wrap a, a political Watergate type of thing around Trump again for the 19th time or 900th time to get him to just step away and say, I'm not going to go to trial anymore, so I'm not going to run for president, that's the – that's the optics of what they're trying to do, legally and justifiably and stuff. No, of course not. It's all trumped up ridiculousness, but they're trying to say, oh, you targeted somebody politically. Who hasn't done that? Hillary Clinton is notorious for it. Bill Clinton is notorious for it. They all do it. That's just politicizing or, sorry, criminalizing politics, and that's what this whole Trump uh, in every state that it's happening, including Colorado, uh, is. It's trying to uh, pressure him 360 degrees, 24-7, to not run for re-election. Yes, lawful. And, and I think once you get to the point that you're so out to get any person in turn defendant that you're willing to flip a misdemeanor yeah. into a felony in a move un essentially unprecedented in modern legal history. It's absurd. Yeah. Hush money payment to a porn star. Right. And, and you're going to turn that into, into a felony. A felony. Yeah. Basically, well, he mislabeled it. Judge, that same judge is willing to go along with it because just in October, she formally removed the gun possession charges when that plea deal collapsed in July. She's a Columbia grad. That's always sketchy, in my opinion. And they, they've weaponized the states and federal courts, which is exactly what John Roberts said we didn't have. We don't have Obama judges and Trump judges. We have hardworking individuals who are trying to, you know, do the law. Well, he was wrong, or at least maybe he was right at the time, but it's changed. And we've got a judge and a defense attorney willing to not play by the rules. Well, they're Democrat lawyers, which, you know, the more that you think about it is a little disturbing in and of itself that they have political affiliations for people who are prosecutors especially when they're using it in this kind of lawfare way. I mean, look, I, I'm not entirely sold on this idea that Donald Trump is innocent in all these cases, especially with the January 6th stuff. I could be swayed one way or the other. But I got to be honest, this looks, it looks over the top to me. I mean, even the, the documents case. Joe Biden had documents sitting in his room. He wasn't even president. They didn't care about it. Nobody took issue with it. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, right, we're going to go after Trump on the exact same thing that Joe Biden basically did. It looks... It looks like they're using welfare. Steve, thank you for joining us, man. Steve Abramowitz. He is a owner and CEO of Mill Creek View and host of Mill Creek View podcast. You guys are listening to Fault Lines. My name is Jamal Thomas with Malik Abdul. We'll be back in a moment. Fault Lines.
Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.